Hello, and welcome to A Daily Walk with Pastor John Randall, a ministry of Calvary Chapel San Juan Capistrano. Open your Bible and join us as together we seek to grow in our daily walk with the Lord. As the epistle to the Romans comes to its conclusion, the Apostle Paul adds a final word of caution concerning the danger of division. Many similar warnings are found throughout the New Testament for division through the means of subtle and subversive false teaching confronted the early church from the very beginning. And even today, the threat of false teaching remains. For where there is light, darkness will seek to eclipse it. And where there is truth, lies will attempt to conceal it. And where there is unity, division seeks to destroy it. You remember in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus warned his disciples in Matthew chapter 7 when he said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. In writing to the church in Colossae, Paul gave a similar warning when he said, Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. In John's epistle, 1 John chapter 4, John said, Beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether or not they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And then the apostle Paul, in addressing the elders there on the shores of Miletus, he said in Acts chapter 20, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the flock of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. All of these warnings given throughout the New Testament, and here in Romans, Paul gives a similar warning, and he uses the words divisions and offenses. And offenses is the Greek word scandalon. It means an impediment placed in the way that would cause one to stumble or fall. It's a trap. The word scandalon was the name of the part of the trap where the bait was attached to it. And it causes someone to sin. The Bible informs us of how God feels about division. In the Old Testament, in the book of Proverbs chapter 6, it says there are six things that the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and then he adds, and one who sows discord or division among the brethren. One of the things that God hates, it says, is the divisive activity of a person who sows discord or division among the brethren. And I believe that God hates it because of all the damage that it causes to those who are involved. One person said it this way. 
There are few things that demoralize, discourage, or weaken a church as much as bickering, backbiting, and fighting among its members. And few things so effectively undermine its testimony before the world. Because of quarreling, the father's dishonored, the son is disgraced, and the testimony of God's people is discredited. And the world is turned off and confirmed in their unbelief. In defining that which is both divisive and a hindrance, the Bible does tell us where these things begin, where they start, where do they come from anyway? James answers that question for us. In James chapter 4, James declares, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures, that war in your members? You lust and you don't have, so you commit murder. And you're envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. Essentially, James says that the cause of the conflicts, the cause of the quarrels, the fightings, the, which leads to divisions and so forth, it comes from selfish desire. It is a work of the flesh. Now that we know what division and hindrances are and how God feels about them, I want you to see, secondly, Paul's warning against division. In verse 17, he says, I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and, he says, avoid them. When Paul exhorts the church to note those who cause division, it literally means keep your eye on those. It's the word scopio, and it carries the idea of looking at or observing something with intensity. It's from the noun form of where we get the word telescope or microscope. It means more than simply to look at something, but to examine it, to scrutinize it carefully. And the fact that Paul uses this word in the, what is called the present tense means that the, quote, scoping out is to be a continual activity implying the danger of spiritual intruders that was even present. This exhortation and this warning against things that are divisive, it not only applies within the church, but can I say to you that applies within your home as well. There's nothing more than the devil would love to do than to divide husband and wife from one another or to divide parents from children, etc. He is a master of division and he loves to come in and to divide in order to conquer. And so often the way in which he divides is he cuts off lines of communication. And when there is no communication, one person assumes something, the other person assumes something else and they begin to fight with one another and there is division. Note that Paul gives us an initial description concerning this division when he says that these divisions, listen carefully, they are contrary to the doctrine which you learned. Meaning that what was being suggested or what was being presented was actually counterfeit or opposed to God's word. And by the way, not just heresy and false teaching, but anything that was leading somebody astray into sin, avoid it. Listen, in other words, Paul is saying, that's not what the Bible says. That's not what scripture teaches. There is no biblical precedent 
for that practice that is divisive, that is false, that is leading people astray. And we need to be discerning and aware of such things. But in addition to the warning that he has given concerning division, Paul gives instructions. And here's what he said, avoid divisions. Avoid those who cause division. Literally, it speaks of separation and conveys the idea of putting some distance between you and these who are causing these things. Steer clear of them. Reject what they teach and protect your fellow believers at the same time. Now listen, that doesn't mean that weekly a pastor should get up into the pulpit and tell you what he's against. And there are some that do that. The next 11-week series of sermons is going to be on the things that I am against. And just they just spend this, all we know is what you don't like and what you're against. I think it's good to tell people what you're for. And we don't have to weekly go over all the lies within the world, but instead let's proclaim and teach the truth of God's word and people will be able to clearly discern what is truth and what is error. But there are those moments when we have the responsibility to clarify to identify, to point out what is in direct opposition to the word of God. Paul instructed Timothy, who was surrounded by false teachers and idolatry. And when giving him instruction, what was Timothy to do? These people were believing old wives' fables. They were pursuing idolatry, false teaching. What's this guy supposed to do? Here's what Paul tells him to do in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and in his kingdom. Here's what you need to do. Preach the word. Preach the word. That's what you're supposed to be doing. If you're not doing that, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. That's the job. Preach the word of God. Be ready, he said, in season and out of season. Paul warns the church, hey, listen, watch out for those who would cause division. And if they're spotted, hey, steer clear of them and avoid them. But then he also gives the church ways to identify division. And this is very insightful. In verse 18, he says, for those who are such, that is those who would cause division or lead other people astray, they do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. That's very interesting. They serve their own belly. Who do you serve? Do you serve nice, pretty much? You know, you serve your own belly. What does that even mean? Here's what it means. It means those that cause division, the identifiable characteristics that are found among them, they might not always be easy to discern due to the element of deception, but when it speaks of they serve their own belly, it means they serve their own fleshly appetites. It is all about self. That's who they live to please. It's been my experience over the last 24 years to observe that divisive people are very difficult to identify because they are masters of stealth. Whispering, private one-on-one meetings are the tools of their trade. And worst of all, they don't recognize themselves to be dividers of people. They're just mm, trying to help. I'm just, I'm just here to help. If you need my help, I'm happy to help, you know, because I, I'm here and I want to help you if I can. Maybe, not really, but I want to. You know, they, they're, they're here to help by offering advice wherever they can. And what is equally unfortunate 
is that I've observed over the years that those who you would assume to be the most discerning are the first to fall for their deception. Why? Well, Paul points out, first of all, listen, their motives. What's the motive? He says again, they don't serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but they serve their own belly. That's the first thing you need to recognize. Who are they serving? They pretty much, they don't serve the Lord. They serve themselves. Anything that the flesh desires, be it recognition, sympathy, control, power, empathy, whatever it is, they serve themselves. And behind their attempt to cause division is self-motivation for whatever it is they want to accomplish. They are driven by self-interest and they don't really care about the church or the cause of Christ. It's pretty much, well, it's pretty much about them. They serve self. When there is division in the church, in the home, in a marriage, Usually, one of the main problems that is so often overlooked or justified or masked, covered up beneath the surface, you ready for this? Self. Self. I think if most of us this morning were honest with God and with ourselves, we would say that probably the biggest problem we have is us. I mean, you got to be honest when you say that, you know. I mean, are, do you, yes, it's true. The biggest problem we have is ourselves. That's what we deal with. And sometimes we want what we want regardless of others, and we can be divisive. In addition to the motives, being self-motivated, self-gratification, love yourself, please yourself, Paul points out the often disarming methods that they use. This is the motive itself, but what are the methods that are employed? He tells us in verse 17, here it is, by smooth words and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the simple. Smooth words, flattering speech, it means language used to captivate the hearer. The phrase flattering speech, you ready for this? It's where we get our English word eulogy, eulogy. I have been the part of and served at many memorials, many celebrations of life, be they at grave sites, be they in a church. I've presided over many memorial services and there is always a time when someone will give a eulogy. And I can tell you, I can't think of a time in all of the memorials that I've done, and there are more than I could count, when someone has ever gotten up during a eulogy and said something bad about the person. It's usually everything good. Let me tell you how, what you didn't know, this person was so this and so that. And sometimes you're like, actually, I knew them, and I really, I had no idea. But then there are other times when you think, I mean, it's always good stuff. I mean, we're eulogizing them. No one's saying, let me tell you what they were really like. Nobody knows this. Roll the slide. Would you just show? I mean, suddenly it's like all the bad things they ever done. No, no, no. When you're eulogizing somebody, you are saying all the wonderful things about them and everybody just leaves thinking, what a great person. Those who were coming into the church and deceiving people and leading them astray into false doctrine and into sinful practices, you know how they got people on board? They flattered them. Told them what they wanted to hear. You're, You're amazing. You know, you're a really good leader. 
know, I really like your hair. You know, I really like your eyes. You know, you're this, you're that. Really, you feel that way? Wow, that's, you're the best teacher I've ever heard in my entire life. Well, apparently you haven't heard very many teachers. But the, the point is, you understand, they just, they flatter you in one sense. And what happens when somebody flatters you with excessive praise? It takes you off guard. It endears you to that person and now you've allowed yourself to be endeared to them because of all the kind things they said. Well, I really love that guy. Why? Because he always just tells me how awesome I am. That's why I love to be, be with them. And when the person, listen carefully, here's where the trap comes in. When the person causing division is exposed or confronted by someone who is discerning and sees it for what it is, so often that person will run to the person that they have endeared themselves to and that person who is supposed to be the most discerning but apparently isn't will come and begin to defend that person and say, what's wrong with them? Do you think you're being a little critical? Do you think you're being a little judgmental? What, is, what did Jesus say? You know, and all of these things that, that suddenly, you're, you know, you have to deal with and when you're confronting it and that seems a little critical, that seems a little judgmental and that's their motive. It's self-motivated and this is their method and their objective and their goal is to ultimately deceive and sometimes they don't even know that that's what they're doing and sometimes they do. But to cause a subject to believe or accept false ideas about something with the implication of that one is led out of the right way into error, be it doctrinally false or maybe just a lifestyle situation that is leading them to sin. Hey, man, listen, avoid that person. If they're telling you to do something that's contrary to the word of God, they're telling you to sin. What are you doing? Why are you hanging around with that? Why are you pursuing that? Do you want to stumble? Do you want to fall? Do you want to wreck everything that's good in your life? Avoid it. Hey, that's false doctrine, friend. That doesn't line up with scripture. What are you doing entertaining it? Why would you be promoting it? Why are you reposting it? That's ridiculous. Why are you saying you like it? What's to like about that which is false and leads people astray? And what ends up taking place, sadly, the trap has been baited, it's been set, it's been shut, the person's deceived, taken in, completely resulting in being led astray and division follows. And those who are susceptible to it, Paul says, they deceive the hearts of the simple, the well-intended, the, the ones that have, a, maybe they just have a genuine heart to serve or, or they just really, you know, are, are blessed that someone realizes their potential and wants them to be there and sees the need and, and all of these things you can be drawn in and what happens the heart of the simple speaks of the unsuspecting and the naive and they get brought in I think in the book of Joshua Joshua chapter 9 nation of Israel crossed over the Jordan man they are just taking one territory after another walls of Jericho fall down eh, minor setback with AI but then they just keep rolling Keep rolling, keep taking land that God promised. But there was a group called the Gibeonites. And it says they worked more craftily than all the other nations. And they came and they approached Joshua and the leaders and the people. And they pretended to be ambassadors. You remember that? During their interview, their clothes were all raggedy, torn up. They brought moldy bread. Their shoes were worn out. I mean, they just looked worked. And they showed up to Joshua and the people and they said, hey, we've come from a really far country. Notice our bread. And they, it's interesting, they kept drawing attention to certain things. Look at our clothes. 
Um, look at our bread. What? Okay. I mean, they kept drawing away from the facts. And then, and then they flattered them. Hey, we've heard about you guys. We, the word is out about you guys. In fact, we heard about how you defeated some people. And the, interesting, they go back to the time of Moses on the other side of the Jordan. Really? You've heard about us? What, what did you hear? <laughs> heard you're a great leader. Really? Who? Oh, wow, that's disarming. Um, what, what else have you heard? Now, we heard you guys are conquering territory. God is with you. The glory of the Lord. And it says they didn't seek the Lord. They didn't ask his counsel. Joshua said, man, these guys are good guys. Hey, you know what? Come on, bring it in. Bring it in. Come on, come on. Let's, they made a covenant with them. And guess what they found out? They lived right around the corner. They lied. They deceived. They set them up with deceptive words of flattery and smooth speech and even had the props to show how sincerely they were liars and they were deceived. Folks, there's a difference between praise and flattery. Praise is specific to an action or flattery is adulation without a cause. Uh, praise intends to encourage, to build up, wherein flattery intends to deceive and further an agenda. Divisive people, whether they be false teachers or otherwise, here's what, here's what they do. Someone said this, they keep their people skills polished at a very high gloss. They instinctively will find trusting people in positions of influence and then they will play to their weaknesses. Let me give you an example. If it's pride, they'll flatter them. If it's fear, they reinforce a sense of control. If it's insecurity, they make them feel important. And if it's despair, they promise the impossible. And then Paul adds, how do we respond? How do we protect ourselves and prevent division? He tells us in verse 19, he says, for your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I'm glad on your behalf. And I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. The best way to prevent succumbing to the deception of division, it's right here. Obedience to the word of God. When you know the truth... When a lie presents itself, you'll be able to identify it. And in that moment, you have a choice whether to obey the word or to disobey the word and suffer the consequences of it. If listening and submitting to that which is heard. Listen, the believers in Rome, Paul was thankful they were protected against false teachers by their obedience to Christ and the truth of his gospel. Not only did their obedience protect them, but it helped other believers who were watching their example. They were encouraged by the reputation of their godliness. Obedience to the word of God. What wonderful news that must have been to the apostle Paul. We will be tempted to cave into the pressure of the culture, to believe the lies that are presented and accepted by so many, or to be deceived by the means of the mind-numbing desensitization 
But walking in obedience to the word of God is a safeguard to the present dangers that surround us. Walking in obedience to God's word will enable us to be wise in what is good and innocent concerning what is evil. The psalmist said it this way in Psalm 119, verse 11, a wonderful verse. He said, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Having God's word memorized, having God's word meditated upon, knowing it, it's a part of you. When sin presents itself or something that could potentially lead you astray, God's word, you will be able to recall it and then you will be able to avoid deception and division, walking in obedience to the word of God. Perhaps ask yourself this morning, right now, by way of personal application, are you walking in obedience to God's word for your life? Have you begun to go down the path of those old friends and those old acquaintances perhaps that are leading you astray, but you're justifying it because, you know, I'm trying to reach them, but you're not reaching them, but they've reached you. And you're not pulling them up, but they are pulling you down. Are you walking in obedience to the word of God? If you're not, listen, you walk in disobedience to the word of God, they already know you compromised it. They already know it's not real to you. But when you walk in obedience to God's word, it makes a significant difference and an impact in your life and in theirs. Are you walking in obedience to the word of God? Are you, and not just in these things, but what about in, in, in doctrine? Do you know what the Bible says? Do you study the word of God? Are you walking in obedience to it? It makes all the difference in the world. And then Paul adds, and I love this verse 20, this powerful promise. I really, you'll see. Here it says, and the God of peace will crush. I love that word. In, in the Greek and in the English, crush Satan under your feet shortly. It means obliterate, annihilate, into nothing. Amen to that, right? <laughs> you like that verse too. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. It's very interesting that this is the first mention of Satan in this entire epistle. Right at the end. And Paul assures the faithful believers that they can look forward to the day when spiritual warfare will be over. It's really hard to imagine that in the world in which we live right now as a Christian. Spiritual warfare done? There's not gonna be any more? I mean, there's coming a day when we're not gonna battle the flesh, the world, the devil, that's gonna end, it's gonna end one day. The war's gonna be over. We're gonna lay down our weapons and we're gonna receive a crown. I mean, but until that time we fight, until that time we battle, but there is coming a day. And this, this is not just a suggestion this is actually a promise for God's people to hold on to. One day, the God of peace is going to ultimately crush and destroy forever the devil. And what a day that will be. Amen. And so in the meantime, we continue to trust in the Lord and hold fast to these promises. Thanks for joining us today for A Daily Walk with Pastor John Randall. You'll find us online at adailywalk.org. That's a good place for resources to help you grow in your daily walk. 
If you'd like prayer or have questions or comments you'd like to share with us, our email is adailywalk at gmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 877-242-0828. That's 877-242-0828. To watch today's message again or any message you may have missed in the series, download our free app. Simply search CCSJC. Be sure to stay tuned with Pastor John on Instagram at John P. Randall and on Twitter at PJRandall7. Make sure to join us next time when we'll again open the Word together seeking to apply God's truth to your daily walk.